This Christmas, for the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. The Bat! In an all-new, larger-than-life feature film. Now, the Dark Knight confronts his newest and most menacing villain. Your angel of death awaits. The Phantasm. I want you. And faces his greatest danger. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. A soaring new adventure. Batman. Mask of the Phantasm. The animated movie. Coming for a Christmas you'll never forget. Hello, Merry Christmas, and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner, and I am your solo host for this particular episode. So, um, just to set the scene for you, welcome to my home. Uh, we are upstairs, uh, meaning just you and me, because it's just the two of us for this. Um, we are upstairs in my home in Winter Garden, Florida. Uh, the upstairs of my home is a movie theater. So uh, we are seated here in the movie theater and we are going to uh, watch and celebrate the 30th, wow, can you believe it? 30th anniversary of one of my favorite films. Um, a, a film I consider to be the only great Batman film. Uh, a film I consider to be one of the greatest uh, animated films of all time and just a hell of a great movie. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this. I will give you my thoughts on this. I have some uh, some very sweet and vivid memories of, uh, of this movie. Um, before we get started, the bathroom is right over there, right around the corner. Feel free to grab yourself an ice cold Coke and a bowl of popcorn and a box of uh, Sour Patch Kids. And come get comfy here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this. So, I have this queued up on max. I am paused at zero, zero, and I'm going to give us a countdown here. So, if you want to watch along, uh, here we go. I'm, I'm going to give us a countdown. So, we're going to get started in three, two, one, go. Now, right out of the gate, I'm noticing... Oh, wait, no, there he is. I was going to say, they, they changed the opener, but nope, there's Bugs Bunny. I love that this film opens with Bugs Bunny, and if anybody from, uh, from Warner's should happen to listen to this, bring back that opener. I love that, with Bugs Bunny at the beginning. So, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, the animated movie. Wow, where to start on this one? Well, first off, um, I want to make sure to say this, so I'm going to say it right at the beginning. I love Shirley Walker's score to this movie. It's one of the things that, that really won me over with this right out of the gate. It's just a beautiful, beautiful score on this. Now, I was familiar with her already from uh, from work that she had done for Danny Elfman and everything, but uh, I think this is the first thing I ever heard of hers where she was the, you know, she did everything. She was the composer and everything, and uh, wow, what a just fantastic score for this also love that it says batman created by bob kane as it properly should um so all right so setting the scene on this so i am from what i'm told one of the very 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 lucky few that actually saw this movie theatrically yes this movie was released in the theaters um it actually came out 
um, according to what I looked up, um, this actually was released on Christmas Day of 1993, and I'm pretty sure I probably saw it Christmas Day because my memory of it was, all right, so I got to set the scene for you. Um, I was brand new to the state of Georgia. I had just moved there from, um, you know, I was born and raised in upstate New York and uh, had taken my aunt up on an offer to come down and kind of start, you know, try to start a start over, start a new life type of thing in, uh, in Georgia, in Conyers, Georgia. So I, I had come down, I believe, around October. So I was in town... Uh, maybe two months and Christmas came along and I remember um, it wasn't my idea to go see this one of my cousins had proposed um, I think think it was you know just Christmas Day and after presents and food and all that it was just like hey what are we gonna do and I think somebody proposed uh, going to the movies so we went to the movies I don't even think we had checked the listings or anything we just went to the movies to see what was playing and pick a movie and um, this was this was out. It was brand new, and I didn't really know anything about it. Um, so full disclosure, I was not a fan of Batman the Animated Series. I didn't watch the show. I think I had seen a few minutes of one of the episodes. Um, I meant to look this up ahead of time, and I totally forgot. But I, I the only thing I could tell you for sure is I remember it had the penguin in it. And between the music at the opener of the show, which was clearly a take on uh, Danny Elfman's themes for the two uh, Michael Keaton Batman films, and then the character model of the Penguin, it left me with the impression that the show was, was set in that universe of the Michael Keaton films, like maybe a continuation of Batman Returns. That was just my impression, and of course it was a false impression. But because I was not enamored of those films, I really wasn't a fan of those films at all. I, I just felt like they kind of missed the mark of Batman, so I, I just dismissed the show. And the episode I think I caught was um, one called, I've, I think it's called I've Got Batman in My Basement. Again, I meant to look this up and I forgot, but I th- if that episode has Penguin in it, which I think it does, then that's the episode I saw. And I just remember not thinking much of it, and I think that's considered one of the weaker episodes of the series. I just, I just came in at the wrong episode. But anyway, we went to see this, and right from the get-go... I was just sucked right into this movie. It's beautiful to look at. Um, again, I'm watching this on uh, on Max, what used to be HBO Max, and just struck by how beautiful it is. Um, I had actually, when I was prepping this last night, I have this on DVD. I have not yet pulled the trigger on the Blu-ray. I actually have the 4K on my Christmas wish list, hoping somebody gets it for me. Um so I was looking at the, the DVD last night and just noticing, you know, projected on my huge, I have a, you know, mass, I have an actual movie screen, so I have a huge screen and just seeing it projected up there, I was noticing all the dirt and the hair and just, it really was not looking good on my DVD copy, but looking at this, whatever this version is that they're showing on Max is, wow, it's beautiful. I mean, you can see some of the stuff in the background but i like that sort of thing when you can see just 
a little bit of like the dirt from the cells and you know just a little bit of it but when it looks really nasty it's it's distracting but this isn't nasty it looks really clean but it's still you can tell it's classically animated and i really like that um one of the things that won me right out of the gate on this is i can tell that the animators were paying homage or you know they, they had gone back and looked at like the Fleischer the, the Superman Fleischer cartoons which are still all these years later con considered like peak animation I mean it's right from the golden age of, of that classic beautifully illustrated beautifully painted animated stuff and you, you can just tell that they're kind of using that as a guide for this and and just beautiful I love the Art Deco look. It gives everything kind of a timeless feel to where, you know, here this movie's 30 years old, and it's aged remarkably well. I really like how they had done this thing where they were, like, painting on black. So it just... It really just captures perfectly the feel of of this world, of Batman's world, and... Um, yeah, just I, I love the the aesthetic that they have for this. Just gorgeous, beautiful sound design. That was another thing that really won me over. I've always been big on the the sound of movies, um, especially as sound got more and more sophisticated with surround sound and that sort of thing. And I really like that. You know, they really went all out to make it feel theatrical you know so they didn't cheap out and just have you know just simple stereo sound or even mono sound i mean it's still full surround so it feels like a movie and i, I appreciate that when studios really you know go to those lengths and my understanding is that you know that was a bruce tim thing that you know even on the show he really pushed for you know having a full orchestra do you know unique scores for every episode so it wasn't you know, they didn't do the traditional cartoon thing where they just, you know, cycle music constantly. You know, just have like a library of music that they just cycle and recycle. Each episode was individually scored. I mean, that's an, ex an incredible expense for one, you know, for one thing, but it really lends into uh, the feel of that show. And with this movie in particular, I mean, this is a, just a fantastic movie score. Just such a great job so getting into the movie itself you know of course we're getting uh you know the setup here with uh bruce wayne at his party and where there's a reference to an andrea and he goes and you know he's clearly having memories i, I just i love this with his parents one of the things that really really works for me so well in this movie there's a couple of things uh, as far as the story goes is that I love that it's an origin story, but not the way you would think. We don't see the death of his parents. Um, at this time, I wonder how many people really knew the, the origin of Batman. So this was kind of a bold step to do the origin story without doing the origin story, if you know what I mean. We don't see the murder of his parents. We don't see him... There's a reference here in just a moment to, you know, he tells Andrea, I made a vow. But he never says what the vow is. Now, we as comic book fans, if you are, you know, a Batman comic book fan, then you know the vow he's talking about. You know, where he vowed on his parents' grave that, you know, he would 
wage war on criminals for the rest of his life. But they never come right out and say that in the movie. I, I think that's neat. I think that's kind of kind of beautiful in a way that they leave some things unsaid. And I don't know, somehow that really lends into it for me that they're, they're focusing on other aspects of the origin. I love the character, love, love, love the character of Andrea Beaumont um, right out of the gate. She's just so likable. Um, she's now, granted, I know she's an animated character, but she's beautiful. But I mean, she's both beautiful you know, visually, but also I like her character. I love Dana Delaney. Dana Delaney's like the perfect voice for this. Of course, she would go on to be Lois Lane on Superman the Animated Series. But And also, ironically, you know, Lois Lane and, and Bruce Wayne would have a fling in the, in the world's finest film as well. But I just, I really like her character. And I'm a sucker for, you know, the, the whole tragic romance, doomed romance kind of thing. So at this time, um, again, flashing back, you know, 30 years. God, I can't believe it's been 30 years. At this time, <clears throat> pardon me, this was, if I really did see this Christmas Day, and again, I think I did. So my first date with my wife was a week away. Our first date was... Uh, was uh, New Year's Eve of 93 so our first date was a week away at that time I was actually seeing a girl uh, named Andrea and I can't remember if we were still seeing each other or if it if it had ended but I knew it was ending it was you know it was just kind of a it was just a fling um, you know we really liked each other and everything but both of us knew it wasn't really going anywhere and so I think that that's always lent into uh, another aspect of me liking the Andrea character and liking the romance story in this is um, just I was kind of going through the same thing at, at the exact same time um, with a redhead named Andrea of all things. So um, a, another aspect of the, you know, the, you know, here we are with the origin story of explaining you know, why does Batman eventually adopt, or, you know, why does Bruce Wayne eventually adopt Batman? You know, specifically a, a costumed uh, crime fighter costume type of thing. And I like that. You know, he learns here that, you know, for all his training, all his skill. And again, I like that they don't, we never got the whole training montage. You know, we don't see him go off to wherever it was he went, you know, Tibet or whatever, and, you know, learn all his skills. He's, he's clearly, he's back, he has the skills, and now he's employing them. I like that. They don't, they don't need, you know, they don't feel the need to give you all that, that background. It's just, he's beginning his war, and I like that. So, you know, seeing him in action, you know, he's got the skills, but he doesn't have the angle yet. He doesn't have... You know, he's not striking fear into the bad guys right out of the gate and having that advantage of them, you know, not knowing who he is, being afraid of him, that sort of thing. And I, and I like that. You know, he learns harsh lessons here. Love having Harvey Bullock in here. I'm trying to remember if I realized right out of the gate that that was Bullock or not. Um, that's another thing that instantly won me over with the movie is... I like that it is respectful of the source material, incredibly respectful of the source material, in my opinion. I felt like the characters were all right, which was something I have never felt 
with any of the live-action Batman films. And I, and I don't want to spend this commentary just dogging on the live-action films, but it's important for me to, to just, you know, to say that I've just, you know, now I've enjoyed some of them to varying degrees. I don't think every single one of them was absolutely terrible, don't get me wrong. I don't hate every one of them. But I just, I never felt like there was a single one that got everything right. Some of them do a wonderful job with the characters, but then the story wasn't very good. Some of them, the story, you know, was absolutely terrible. You know, just different things. But there's not one live-action Batman I could point to and go, wow, they nailed it. The way I can point to this movie and go, they absolutely nailed it. And they do with this. Every character feels authentic to the comics i love the voice cast there's not a single voice cast in this where i feel like ooh, that's not what i imagine that character to sound like and you know alfred is perfect um although i'm glad that it's it's this actor and not the the original one um that the series actually started with i didn't care for his voice i i Forgive me, I didn't look the names up ahead of time, so I can't remember what the names are, but the series actually started with a different Alfred uh, than eventually became the standard Alfred of the show. Um, but yeah, I, I love the voice work in this. Just just perfect. Also, I really like that, while it's not you know a, a panel-by-panel or word-by-word adaptation, that this borrows an awful lot from Batman Year Two. Um, now, Batman Year Two, in my opinion, is honestly one of the greatest Batman stories ever told. I love that. Well, I was going to say it's a miniseries. It, it's within. Um, is it Detective? It's either Batman or Detective. I forget, but it's it's a miniseries within the series. But I've always loved it. I think it's fantastic. The art, unfortunately, is is inconsistent throughout um, that because I think they changed artists. It's been a while since I've reread it, and I really need to dig it out and reread it. But uh, I was always very enamored of that. I, I feel like Batman Year Two deserves all the accolades that Batman Year One gets and doesn't deserve, in my opinion. Um, but I also like that later on in this, um, there are some things borrowed from Batman Year One. Um, the the sequence that I do enjoy in that, where it's uh, Again, Batman honing his skills, learning his trade, and uh, unfortunately coming up against the police. And I really like that, both that sequence of the original comic, and I love that sequence of the movie. That's probably my favorite sequence of, the, of this entire movie. That and, uh, and the uh, climactic showdown um, at the old World's Fairgrounds. I love that it uses the background of a world's fair um to again fill in some blanks of uh, of batman's origin and eventually becomes a hideout for the joker i think that's just absolutely brilliant if i have any negatives about this movie and i really don't i mean i honestly love this movie beginning to end but it would probably be this sequence right here. I feel like this sequence, while it's necessary to show that the Phantasm, you know, to explain what the Phantasm is doing, that the Phantasm is hunting down, um, you know, these, these crime figures and everything, this portion right here hasn't always worked 100% for me. I feel it's, it's, it, it drags things a little bit. It's a little slow. Um, I feel like it, it could be 
I don't know, it could have been done differently or sped up or something, but um, it's a minor criticism. But the way that Chucky's saw is done in is, is pretty gruesome, you know, falling into a grave and, and having the stone pushed onto him. I'm trying to remember if I figured out the mystery in this ahead of time. Um, you know, there's the, the famous or infamous thing now where the action figure of the phantasm that uh, that was released. I want to say that was a Kenner. I can't remember if it was a Kenner action figure or not, but uh, the action figure that was released actually spoiled who the phantasm actually was. If you're listening to this, then I'm going to assume that you've seen the movie and you know everything. So, the, you know, the, the phantasm is Andrea. Um, I'm trying to remember if I figured that out through the course of the movie, but I didn't know it going in. Again, I you know, I, I was not a fan... Uh, of the series, wasn't watching the series at the time, and I'm sure I paid no attention to the figures in the store if I even saw them. Um, so I didn't know that going in, but I can't remember if I figured it out during the course of the movie or, or if it kind of came as a surprise later on. I, I no longer recall. But yeah, like I say, this, this sequence just, it, it goes a little long. Um, it's one of those sequences where I've often wondered if, is it padded? Because the movie itself, honestly, it doesn't really run very long. Um, but I've often wondered, did they, did they ever feel the need to pad it a little bit to make it a theatrical feature? Because from what I've read, initially this was intended to be a direct-to-video uh, presentation and somebody somewhere felt it was strong enough to release it theatrically um, which I think is a it was a great decision you know of course because I got to see it but um, it did not from what I understand anyway did not do well theatrically which is a real shame um, and it seemed to kind of find its life um, in the video market now so again rewinding back to 1993 so when I blew into town, uh, you know, into Georgia, into Conyers, Georgia, my very first day in town, I, I got a job um, working at the local Blockbuster, Blockbuster Video, if you remember Blockbuster Videos. And uh, that's where I met my missus. She was a, a manager there. I was just a, a lowly uh, part-timer there, but that's where we met. So I was working for Blockbuster Video, but then also at the same time working for their competitor up the road. I got a, a job a couple of days later. Uh, working at Turtle Super Video, which I think was just a small local chain. I'm not sure how, how big that chain ever got or how, how big it ever was, but of course neither one of them exists anymore. Um, but I was working at Turtle Super Video, which you know was a video rental place, uh, but their primary business was they were, well, what we used to call back in the day a record shop, although I can't remember if we actually sold records still, but they sold um, CDs. I think they still had cassette tapes. I don't remember now, uh, but they had CDs. Up. Their primary business was music. They sold music, um, and they also had a Ticketmaster window, which was a pain in the ass. I hated working to Ticketmaster. Um, but I was working there, so I was privy to when the soundtrack for this came out on CD and, of course, snapped it right up. And I 
wore that thing out listening to it. I have listened to that so many times. I'm really glad that a few years ago that, uh, I think it was La La Land, I forget, somebody put out a expanded, uh, you know, more complete um, soundtrack release of this, which is just fantastic. But again, a great score. And I was working, you know, of course, working at Blockbuster, I was working there when when this came out on um, VHS. So the VHS came out, and it was what they call the clamshell. If you remember how the old Disney's used to come out in that big, like, puffy box that they would come in, you know, that kind of snapped together. They called those clamshell boxes. <clears throat> Pardon me. And this came out in, uh, it looks like Aunt May in the background. Um, God, I love this animation. That is... That is so beautiful. Just so beautifully uh, animated and illustrated. They don't notice him right there across the street watching it. Okay. <laughs> um, but again, I was working at, uh, at Blockbuster when this came out on, uh, on uh, VHS. And the VHS actually came packaged with the comic adaptation. And so I got a copy of that through working there I don't know what happened to all the ones because every copy that we had came with one of those adaptations in it um, I know I have one that I you know that I still have today that I got from one of those but I don't know what happened to all the other copies um, that we got maybe they went to the other uh, the other employees I can't remember but I just thought that that was really cool that you know the movie came with God, I love this World's Fair sequence absolutely love it This is my sweet spot. Of course, you know, being not only a, a Walt Disney World cast member, but, you know, quite a, a fan of World's Fairs, uh, I, I love this whole sequence because I can see so many nods. House of the Future is it's very much Carousel of Progress, but I love that this World's Fair is kind of nebulous. It pulls a lot from both the 1939-40... New York World's Fair, but also pulls a lot from the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. So it's a wonderful tribute to both. I love this being the origin of the Batmobile, that he saw this futuristic... Now, they actually had a turbine car at the... I think it was the 64? 64 New York World's Fair. It didn't look like that, but it was actually, for all intents and purposes, like a rocket car. And so I, I think that's neat. Somebody clearly monorail. Somebody clearly researched, um, you know, world's fairs and, and what was there. Later on, we see um, a clearly a reference to uh, Futurama, not the show, but the actual attraction from the '39 World's Fair um, that the Joker hides in and actually uses as a weapon against Batman. I think that I just I love stuff. Like that. I think that's so cool. The song that played at the beginning, um, I think it's called Welcome to the Future. Um, very World's Fair-like. Um, I don't know if it's an intentional callback to, like, there's a great big beautiful tomorrow, but I, I, I like to think that it is. The big robot guys out front, uh, very reminiscent to me of, uh, of Electro from the 39 World's Fair, who... 
if you know your comics history, if you ever read uh, All Star Squadron, and of course Electro became, uh, you know, initially he was used against the All Stars, but eventually became their robot but, uh, butler, um, Gernsback. So yeah, I love, I love them using that as part of the background on all this. While I was never a fan of how the show, and I and I think it was kind of forced on them by the movie people. Um, I never liked how the show actually gave um, Joker before he was Joker a name, um, something Napier. I think they took that from the first uh, from the first uh, Michael Keaton film. I, I didn't like that they that they gave him a name and all that, but I like that he's here. Just very, he's very much in the background. Um, you know, as one of the, the heavies, you know, one of the, the stooges of, uh, of one of these bad, I think it's this guy. I just, I like that he's there. So, it, it, yeah, there's the Joker right there. You know, just a henchman. I like that aspect. Uh, I didn't need to ever, I don't know, I think the Joker works best when you don't know his background. You don't know his origin. He doesn't have a name. He just kind of. He's just kind of a force of nature. Kind of, he's just kind of created. Great sequence here. Stay here. I gotta stop this. No, don't. I'm struck by how much young Bruce in this looks like. Um, the, you know, the character models to me are very similar between young Bruce and uh, and like young Clark Kent from uh, from the origin episodes of uh, Superman the animated series. There's a great shot here coming up of that one right there where Bruce focuses. I just oh, I love that. I love it. Beautifully animated. He's remembering his training, he's all set, he's doing everything right, but then he gets, oh, love that, beautiful shot. He's doing everything right, and then he gets distracted, he thinks of Andrea, and again, there's that conflict, you know. In this case, you know, the internal conflict that we see him experience here. Oh, I just noticed he's caught on his arm. I don't think I ever noticed that before. You know, so much of, you know, there's this internal conflict between, uh, now the cut's gone. <laughs> Continuity! You know, he's having this battle between the vow he made and the training and the mission. You know, he's he's set his life on this course toward becoming, you know, eventually the Batman, you know, to avenging his parents. And his love for Andrea. I, I love the sequence. It's coming up here where he goes to the cemetery, you know, and he just tells his parents, I, I didn't see this coming. It's, it's just so tragic, but I really like that sequence with him fighting those, uh, you know, the, the biker thugs because it ex it, it externalizes 
that internal conflict between the vow he made and his feelings for Andrea. I don't know. I just don't know. Beautifully animated. That lightning and the trees and the rain and all that reminds me of some of the early uh, Disney. I mean, that it really has that quality to it. I mean, I know often you know you mention Disney animation and people think of something all you know with cartoon animals and music and you know very light and everything. But if you go back and you look at the early Disney films, look at um, of all things Bambi, for example. Now again, forget the cartoon animals for a moment and just look at the animation in that with nature and the trees and the rain. The little April shower sequence of that movie, the incredible level of detail in the animation. And then you look at this and you can just see where this is right there with it. It's, it's of the same caliber, just beautiful. Yeah, I love this sequence. Absolutely love this sequence. One of my favorite sequences of the whole film. That you know, he's he's really torn up about this, and I like. That's beautiful. And you can't tell, in that moment, was it the rain running off his mask, or or was he shedding a tear for, you know, for that memory. But I like that. You know, the the flashback ends at that sequence where he's on that razor's edge you know it's it's looking like you know he was on his mission but now she's kind of saving him from that that he's he could put it aside and he could be happy with her and it that again lends into the the tragedy of this because ultimately that's that's kind of the way i see this film it's one of the reasons i like it so much is that it, it is it's a love story but it's a tragic love story because they can't be together you know they, they end up not together which is just so sad for him this was his his chance at happiness it, it almost it's ironic that this comes out at you know it came out initially at christmas because that was one of the things, you know, one of the aspects of, you know, another classic Christmas tale that, that I always focus on, you know, with A Christmas Carol is that, you know, Scrooge himself had that moment, you know, he, he had the love of his life and messed it up and, and lost her. And that's what set him on the course of, of becoming bitter with humanity and, and, you know, everything that happened with him. I see kind of a, a very similar thing here with Batman. You know, not that Batman became bitter, but just, you know, he, things soured with, with Andrea and he missed that opportunity to have a proper life and, and to be happy. You know, it's funny that, you know, there's there's so many... Uh, comics fans, but also, you know, just children in general. It's funny that children gravitate to Batman and, you know, so many kids, and I was one of them, you know, played Batman as a kid and all that, and he's such a popular character. But would you want to be Batman? Because he just, he's not 
he's not a happy character. It's it's not it, it can't be a happy pleasant life. I mean, yeah, sure he's rich, but you know, beyond that, I mean, he just he's so sad. It's it's such a, you know, he's such a tragic character. Beautiful, beautiful animation. I love the choice of color here because you seldom see the skies in Gotham anything but red or black or, you know, very sinister looking or very, you know, dark and depressing. Whereas here it's actually kind of a beautiful sunset. But the, yeah, the color palette really works well right here. I always felt like like I'd thrown you a curveball, like you never knew what to do with me because I wasn't in the plan. So everything's working. He's changing the plan, except the plan comes back at him. I love that. That is beautiful. Beautiful imagery. Just such a uh oh. Looks like Dad's got company. Such a perfect adaptation. It, it's oh, I just love this movie. <laughs> I sound like I'm just repeating myself, but I, I do. I, I feel like they just did such a masterful job on this. And again, the Joker before the Joker. See, I like that. I like that you he never speaks. You don't, in this anyway, you don't get his name. I like that. If all you ever saw was this and you didn't see the animated series at all, um, then, then that, you know, that totally works for me because I don't need any more of him. And if you never even realized that was the Joker, that, that works too, I guess. So sad. Now's a perfect place to, to say, um, I don't think I've mentioned it at all yet, um, Kevin Conroy, just, wow. It's so sad that he's gone. I, what an incredible voice talent. I think he did a fantastic job in this, I really do. His voice got more gravelly over time, and um, I don't know that we're yet at you know, his, his peak Batman voice, if you know what I mean, but I love his Bruce Wayne voice in this. I love this sequence. Again, origin story, but it's just interesting the way that they tell it, and that's that's perfect. A great little scene right there. You never really even see the Batman. You just see the outline of the Batman, but now his, his destiny's set, more or less. Yeah, I love it. All right, so back to the uh, the Gotham World's Fair, all in dilapidation. What a great villain lair! This this is so cool. I don't think I knew 
going into this that Mark Hamill was the Joker, I think I had, if I remember properly, I think I had a, a, a holy crap moment when I figured it out. <laughs> oh, they, they are totally electro. Love that. Oh, and then he, he destroys them all. But, um, but yeah, I've always been a fan of Mark Hamill, and I had seen Mark Hamill as the trickster on The Flash, and he did a voice very similar to this uh, when he played the trickster. And so I, I think in pretty short order, as I recall, I think I had a moment right there in the theater where I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's Mark Hamill. Um I'm trying to remember if I've ever heard this for, you know, said for certain, but I always had the impression that somebody uh, had been watching Yellow Submarine, and the Joker in this reminds me so much of uh, of the head Blue Meaning. I, I'm trying to remember if that Blue Meaning ever had a name, the, the, the one that was, uh, you know, Max just called him Boss, but I can't remember if he actually had a name or not. But the but the head blue meanie in uh, in the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. Um, there are so many moments with the Joker that just totally remind me of that. I love it. This is so cool. <laughs> the Joker steals the show. He, Weirdos around, one of the best lines. Very quotable movie. That's one of my favorite lines. He gets all the best lines. Most most of the, 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 the quotable lines in this come from the Joker. He gets all the best lines. It's funny to me that I love the Joker so much in this because I have just come to really... I'm so tired of the Joker. Um... But, of course, at this time, I don't remember him being particularly overused. He, he, I think part of the thing is, is how the Joker is used in the first place. And he's used to great effect in this, in this movie. Hamill's voice acting is excellent. His character model is excellent. I feel like they really nailed the character of the Joker. But... Over the years, he's just been so overused and these days misused. There's been so many misfires with with the Joker. Um, I really can't stand the way that uh, you know beyond Jack Nicholson's uh, Joker. I, I don't like the way he's been used in any of the live action movies. I, I feel like somebody just like they failed to ever even look at the old comics and they just completely missed the mark but this one nails it great foreshadowing with the knife coming down uh, across uh, across Velestra there when he's talking with the Joker that's great beautiful foreshadowing Arthur Reeves, uh, I had forgotten, but he was a character from the comics as well. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about his character, but uh, I was rereading some... Uh, I'm doing a, a read-through right now, a read-through project of uh, reading all the DC titles um, of the mid-80s. It's a crisis project I've been working on. 
and like Arthur Reeves has been in some of the Batman and Detective stories. And I'd kind of forgotten that he was a character that actually came from the comics. I like that she knew right out of the gate who he was. confrontational but they both still love each other and I feel sorry for her because she doesn't want to be this way and she really does love him too that's that's the tragedy of it mm. okay here we go this gets into uh, God, this is this is the best I, I love this entire action sequence here just beautiful also, the Phantasm. I haven't really said anything about the Phantasm. Probably. I love the Phantasm. I love the look. It's a great look. The big gauntlet thing is a little bit weird with the big blades and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I love the look. But, again, I was a big fan of uh, Batman Year Two. And that's, in that story, the mysterious uh, you know, bad guy figure was uh, was the Reaper but it was a very similar story to this and a very similar character setup and all that um, so basically they just changed the Reaper to the Phantasm um, but I, I like the Phantasm better I, I like the character model and it's, it's just it's very cool but this is this is fantastic now, some of this animation with the with the Batwing is a little janky here, coming up right there. It looked a little funny. I feel like it's funny that the movie opens with computer animation. You know, the entire uh, title sequence is computer anime. I feel like they might have been able to use some of that computer animation. With the Batwing sequence here to make it, to make that introduction flow just a little bit better, but again, it's a minor criticism. Love the lighting as well. I like that they, uh, God, it looks so great. I like when he's lit directly on by a light and that the shading with the blue because I I felt like these guys understood that that was just a comic book thing that, that Batman is actually dressed in black and gray and that the blue was highlight and I really like that, that they use it that way I feel like over the years that got misconstrued so when there were like action figures of Batman or whatever, you know the, the color scheme was was blue and gray, where it actually should have been black. You know later on the, when they did the uh, 
the revamp of this, or whatever you want to call it, when they changed all the character models for the later seasons and went to actually being black. I, <clears throat> pardon me, I liked that, but, you know, because it, to me, it, it really showed what it what it actually real world quote unquote real world would look like but I like this with the, with the blue as well because that is very you know forgive the term it's very comic booky but I like that I think that's one of the strongest strengths of this movie is that it it's a you know it's a moving comic book and so many comic book films fail in that, you know, if, if they even attempt it, you know, many of them don't attempt it, you know, so many comic books, especially the live action ones, shy away from the whole comic book thing, and, and don't embrace the roots of you know, the character, and the medium that the character comes from when they do these adaptations, whereas this clearly does blood, something they couldn't do on the TV show, or were discouraged from doing on the TV show love this sequence The score, again, just so beautiful. The sound design. If I remember properly, this is all right from Batman Year One. I haven't read that in a long time, but I really like this sequence. And of course, even if I didn't figure him out when he was, uh, when it was in the flashback sequence where he was just a sergeant right here, you know, seeing, uh, Bullock, the detective, you know, I, I clearly would have put it together by that point. And that was a character I had liked right from the college. I just happened to be reading and buying uh, Batman and Detective right off the stands as a kid when Harvey Bullock was introduced, and I liked that character right from the get-go. Great score. Great score. Oh my god, I love the soundtrack to this movie. <laughs> uh, I hope you're enter you're entertained by that. I hope you're enjoying this. I feel like it's been nothing but me, but uh, just repeating how much I love this movie, but I really do. I, I think it's fantastic. It it's hard to put into words sometimes, uh, you know, what it is that... Uh, that makes me so enamored of it, but I do. I just think it's it's so well constructed, you know, so nicely put together. Was the world's greatest detective will find out eventually. You remember Batty was having a meeting that night with his partner. I like seeing them back together as well, and I know I think Alfred does too. Well, actually, I think he says it later on. I think he says something to the effect, "It's so nice to see you and Miss Miss Beaumont together again." While I certainly didn't ever feel that Alfred Pennyworth needed his own television show, I I like when he gets his little moments. I, I like when we get a, a little insight into Alfred. I, I've always I've always liked the aspect when it's played up of of him being protective of Bruce of you know clearly he loves him and he, and he cares for him and he's trying to take care of him but also 
feeling sorry for him, you know, acknowledging that while he's helping, you know, facilitate what the Batman does, that he also understands the tragedy that's, you know, that's going on as well. Isn't really terribly familiar with Stacy Keach, but uh, but I like his voice acting in this as well. I just used up the last shred of pity Sal Balestra has. If I don't pay him back within 24 hours, they'll find us and they'll kill us both. Ralph, why'd you do this, Dad? Why'd you get involved with these people? I'm sorry, Andy. I just wanted a chance, but you, I'll get you out. Somehow we'll be free of those guys. Whatever it takes. That's a Nice setup. And that night, we were on the run. We hid all over Europe. Eventually settled on the Mediterranean coast. Dad was able to parlay the money he embezzled. Yeah, I honestly can't remember if I had figured this out by the time it's revealed who the who the phantasm actually is or not. I think I think I I think they suckered me. I think I was going right along with the story as she's setting it up, and that you know what Batman assumes as well that the phantasm is her father. I'm trying to remember. Gosh, I really need to dig it out and reread it. Maybe that'd be a good one to uh, to cover on the show sometime. Cover Batman Year Two. I need to dig that out and reread it because I can't remember in that who the Reaper ultimately turns out to be. I certainly never envisioned a happy ending for Batman. You know, I also wouldn't, I totally would not be opposed to him having gotten one. Um, I, I certainly never saw the whole happy ending with Captain America coming, you know, as they gave him one in, the, in Endgame. I, but I, I came to like it. Uh, and when, I, when it first happened, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it because, you know, of course, it's not comic book accurate or anything like that. But I've come to enjoy it, you know, from, from the movie universe aspect. I came to enjoy it because it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's nice to, you know, the, you know he's, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He deserves, you know, he deserves a happy ending type of thing. And... I, I wouldn't have been opposed to that with this. Now, I was not a follower of uh, of Batman Beyond. I just could never really get into that. I'm kind of aware of the story beats and, and everything. Um, but yeah, if, if this whole animated Batman universe had ended with them back together again at some point, whether it was you know when he was an elderly man or whatever, or if he just you know she came back into his life at some point. And he gave up being Batman, and you know, and then he had you know the rest of his life with her. I, I, I actually would have been okay with that because I really like them together. This is cool. Oh no! Love Mark Hamill's laugh. Yep. See. 
dark skies and guys always dark skies except for that one that one sequence this is where i'm so reminded of the blue meanies right here this beautiful staging So this is a good time to mention, uh, if you're not aware, there is actually a sequel to this. Um, it was in one of the annuals of the uh, comic book series that was based on the Batman animated series. Um, I want to say it's Batman and Robin Adventures Annual Number 1, I think. Again, I should have looked this up ahead of time. Um, don't hold me to it, that might not be right, but it is one of the annuals, again, um, to one of the series that was based on uh, Batman the Animated Series in the comics. So, in that, it is a direct sequel. Um, and Arthur Reeves, um, you know, we see it here in a, in, uh, you know, in a moment, where uh, he's exposed to the jo Joker toxin. Well, it ends up... Uh, permanently disfiguring him and so he becomes uh, essentially the bad guy of the sequel to this but the phantasm does come back um, it does explain um, you know just kind of fills in some gaps you know how does uh, how does she survive how does the Joker survive from the ending of the film because it kind of looks like um, you know, you're not really you're not really left knowing uh, one way or the other because she does her fade out thing holding on to the Joker. So you're not really sure. Okay, how you know how did that all play out? And that tells you what happened and how the Joker uh, survived. I like this character model of the Joker so much. The, the one that they did when they did the redesigns, I don't know if... I, I mean, it's okay, but I like this one. <laughs> He's everything I feel like the Joker should be. He's funny. But he's wickedly sinister, and that's that's the Joker to me. He's I don't know, I just the way he's been portrayed in some of the movies. I'm I'm so shocked that uh, you know the the Heath Ledger version has become such a thing that that's so embraced and people seem to really like that version so much. I just oh, it so misses the mark to me. This is the Joker to me. If memory serves, I think this voice actor for uh, for Reeves is the guy. Can't remember the actor's name from uh, from Die Hard, the the junkie guy that uh, tries to sell McLean out, ends up getting shot by by Hans Gruber. I think it's that same guy. He's got some comic book roots too, because he was. Uh, if it is the same guy, if it's the same actor, he was uh, Supergirl's love interest in the uh, Helen Slater Supergirl movie. 
It's the only the only things I know him from. I don't know if he's done anything else. That's not the answer I want. Boma, we need to help him get out of town. When was the last time you spoke to him? Years ago. My first election campaign. I was running out of money and asked Beaumont for help. Love the shading. <laughs> I was broke, desperate. They said all I wanted was their money back. <laughs> Councilman, Councilman, please. just do not make animation like this anymore it's god it's beautiful i love that they they just they took that's this for the era that this was produced in it's it's just a miracle because they just didn't make them like this anymore this is such a, a throwback to classic animation with with beautifully rendered background you know painted backgrounds and just so smooth it looks beautiful so the joker figured it out <laughs> Red skies. I don't know that the sequence was necessary, but I like it. And it was the Joker that actually did it. Nice. A dilapidated world's fairgrounds, both as a villain lair and as the, the climactic setting, is just. It is genius. Absolute genius. <laughs> And him, him living in, essentially, the you know the house of the future slash carousel of progress. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to get me to, to to love what you're doing, this is an easy mark for me right here. It's brilliant. Who am I to talk? 
I like that they were able to do some things in this that they could never have gotten away with on TV because she gives him a kick in the boys here in a moment that I'm pretty sure they weren't allowed to do on television. And beating the hell out of a woman's probably not something that they could have done on television either. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Nice piece of it right there. I like that too. Again, the sound design in this is just beautiful. So Astro Jets looking kind of attraction there. That's cool. Mookie the Babe. I love that. Your biggest fan. Again, he gets all the best lines. <laughs> now, I don't know about the practicality of this. It's, it's, it is a little silly, but it's, it's effective. It looks cool visually very cool wonderful sound design in this this sounds great in surround sound beautiful animation I like this this reeks just a little bit of we need to sell some more toys but it's still very cool I like the bat cycle that is very cool they did have a toy of the bat cycle right I think it's also very uh, very light cycle looking to me that's that's cool as well again I don't know about the uh, the practicality of this but it looks cool anyway It does make you wonder why nobody ever figures out that Batman's got to be rich. Or at least well well to do with all the the toys and So you could ship the blame to your father if you had to. I took everything, Bruce. My dad, my life, you. I'm not saying it's right or, or even sane, but it's all I've got left. So either help me or get out of the way. You know I can't do that. Look what they did to us. What we could have I like that that takes him aback. That's so sad. Brilliantly written, though. You know, there's an added element to this, too, is that not only is this just a really cool place, you know, to have all this happen, but they have shared history here. 
you mean meaning Batman and Andrea or you know Bruce and Andrea so here's the future this is very oh I love the WB uh, Warner Brothers logo there that's very cool but yeah there was a uh, an attraction actually at both the 3940 and 6465 uh, New York World's Fairs there was Futurama at the original and Futurama 2 at the latter one uh, which were both um, predictions of the world to come and this is totally Futurama. If uh, you know, if you ever do a, like a Google search, whatever, look up images. Um, the city of the future that they created for uh, for Futurama was just incredible. It's so cool, and that's clearly where where this is taking place. They are they are fighting in Futurama. That's that's just really neat. very cool animated sequence here but also the music there's a uh, there's a little flourish here coming up that I love him riding the monorail oh my god that is so cool <laughs> setting it all to blow up yeah right here this love the music <laughs> now when he punched that was that that fluid that came was that an internal fluid from the from the plane or was that his blood that you can see the dilapidation of the uh, of the structure so I wonder is this supposed to be that's very cool is this supposed to be like Gotham's version of like Flushing Meadows then I guess that's kind of cool remember if there was some sort of is there a unisphere like structure or like oh yeah there it is that's more like the uh the uh perisphere and trilon but yeah that's that's very cool there was actually an action figure of this uh rocket joke he looked a little different as i recall though he doesn't look exactly on model from the from the you know this movie version but there was a uh rocket pack wearing joker action figure as part of this series release. I like the red skies. That looks, that's really cool. I always associate the red skies with, with the Crisis on Infinite Earths, but it's it works for this. It's very cool. That blood red sky. Yeah, they definitely took advantage of uh, of the ability to show blood in this the way that they couldn't on the TV show. And again, that really lends into this. I remember at the time being impressed by that. That whoa, you know, they're this this is not all kiddified. You know, this isn't uh, you know this isn't the Super Friends. 
Or World's Fairgrounds. Oh, the giant wheel. They actually had that at the uh, 64. So I forget what sponsor it was, but there actually was a giant tire exhibit. That's cool. Yeah, somebody clearly did their homework on World's Fairs. That's cool. So she does her phase out with the Joker, but she basically leaves Bruce to die. Nice effect with the smoke. So if memory serves, it's been a while since I've uh, I've read that sequel story in the comics, but if memory serves, the Joker's escape from Andrea is very similar to Batman's here. I think she pulls her, her fade-out thing with the Joker. They materialize somewhere else, but still at the fairground, and then I think they get separated by an explosion, and he ends up escaping in a very similar way to, to Batman, at least as I recall. That's a beautiful shot. I couldn't save her, Alfred. I don't think she wanted to be saved, but vengeance blackens the soul, Bruce. I've always feared you would become that which you fought against. You walk the edge of that abyss every night. Let me show the abyss. That's that's nice. that it you know it's tragic and I'm sad that they don't wind up together but I like that you know it ends with this moment with him and Alfred I like I like Alfred's character I like when Alfred's there for him and I like that they didn't kill her off that's a great shot it's just so sad Jughead Jones hat this guy's wearing. Quite a sight. Yes. I'm sorry. Do you, do you want to be alone? I am. Oh. Kills me. Gets me right where I live. that shot though it had a, had a lot of dirt and hair on it I just noticed but that's cool wow well that went faster than I thought it was going to but uh oh my god what a still what a fantastic movie just absolutely love this movie Well, I thought it ended with that song because I was going to comment. Oh, yep. Yeah, here it comes. 
Yeah, that's the only other thing I didn't ever like about the movie was uh, was this song. I mean, it's not terrible, but I, I don't know why movies feel the need to do this. There's so many movies that do this where at the end there's some some pop song or, you know, not not theme score, you know, not a scored music plays at the end of it, and I don't know why movies do that. It makes me crazy. I like when they play, you know, actual score, you know, using the themes of the movie. You know, I've often wondered why why in the world, you know, DC has struggled so hard over the years with their films, you know, particularly their their live action films. I just don't understand why, for one, they have a beautiful blueprint on how to do these things by looking at not only the comics, of course, but this, I, I don't know what it's called today, DCAU, the Timverse, whatever you want to call it, these these animated projects that, that Bruce Tim uh, spearheaded. Um, but I also don't understand how, you know, the, the people that eventually became the heads of DC that rose up through the comic book ranks, so many of them, and of course this is just my personal opinion, so many of them are so undeserving uh, of being handed those reins. Here's a guy that completely deserves it. Why, why was Bruce Tim not put in charge of DC? Uh, somebody answer that question for me because I don't understand. The guy had such a feel and love for these characters and and more importantly you know i'm not a big fan of of doing updates and revisions of characters but man did he know how to do it i mean he took some characters and, and uh made you know made them better like brainiac brainiac was so problematic for so many years and bruce tim took that character and just made him work brainiac you know Brainiac as part of the the animated universe. What a what a brilliant idea! What a brilliant character, and he did that with a lot of their characters. I mean, he made the ventriloquist a a, a great character. He was a cool character in the comics, but he made him a great character uh, in these animated things. So yeah, I, what's he even doing these days? I, every once in a while, one of the I haven't seen all of the animated movies, you know, the, the more recent animated movies, but every once in a while I still, still see his name pop up, but it just, man, it feels like the guy should be running things, you know? He, he just has such a handle on all this stuff. It's, I don't get it. I don't understand why somebody like Jim Lee ends up running DC. That makes no sense to me. But anyway, this was not meant to... Uh, be a criticism of of live action dc or dc in general it's really a a celebration of this wonderful wonderful movie that uh man you talk about uh turning me around and turning me on to uh to animated batman yeah i I may not have been watching the show or thought much of the show or whatever but after i saw this i was hooked man and i have been ever since man i cannot believe that it's been 30 years but uh yeah what a what a wonderful film what a what a love letter and uh man you know just nothing nothing's been able to touch it as far as uh quality and nailing the character like this one has just great movie well i hope you have enjoyed this commentary uh write in give me some feedback on it join our facebook group pipe in uh 
Let me know what you thought, whether I entertained you or whether I bored the pants off you. I'd like to know one way or the other. This was all just stream of consciousness off my head. You were just sitting here watching the movie along with me. So let me know what you thought of the experience. Thanks for joining me and uh, stay tuned in. We'll have something fun and new for you next week. Take care.